Greetings and salutations, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain. Welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming to you from sunny Tandawanda, New York. That's right, sportsmen and women, welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport, coming to you on Anchor.fm, powered by Spotify. Hey, you can listen to this podcast on Spotify and Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and Beacon and Free Radio and Pocket Casts and, of course, Anchor.fm. Hey, please help support this podcast by donating to the cause, $2 a month, $5 a month, whatever you can afford, as it helps me push back on the propaganda in the news while providing conservation news and commentary along with sound science and conservation principles hey speaking of commentary you know it's my show it's my commentary and my opinion and doesn't necessarily reflect any of the official positions of organizations i may be a part of but if it is an official position i will let you know about it and also of course the views expressed on this show may not reflect the views of the program sponsors and advertisers just so we're all clear so please spread the word folks we're growing by leaps and bounds and you know <clears throat> at this time I would I'd like to you know congratulate the Buffalo Bills on an incredible season um you know they're they were disappointing in the last time they played but you know this weekend around it looked like uh, the Bengals had got their uh uh, got their you-know-what together, and karma jumped up and, and got uh, uh, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs right in the bippy. You know, they had the ball for about 13 seconds and threw an interception. So, you know, it uh, it is what it is. And, you know, it it's, you know, old man winter is, uh, you know, now in full control of the weather. We've got a nor'easter that's coming up the, you know, the East Coast, barreling in from the Atlantic. Uh, we've got all sorts of uh, winter storm warnings and, and watches that have been posted. And, you know, it is kind of hard to think about buzzing insects that emerge with the return of warm weather when we've got, you know, these snowstorms happening. But um, perhaps it is a good time to remember the importance of our pollinators, like the European honeybee, which has faced tremendous challenges, as, as has the bumblebee, since the early to mid-1990s, in a phenomenon that is referred to as colony collapse disorder. You know, science still hasn't pinned pointed the cause of this sudden loss of entire bee colonies, but it is thought that a combination of pesticide use and invasive mites like the trachea mite and the varroa mite, as well as emerging invasive viruses called the Israeli acute paralysis virus and fungus and other beekeeping practices like the use of antibiotics or long-distance transportation of beehives, malnutrition, qual poor quality of queens, starvations, other pathogens, and immunodeficiencies, all of these are coming together to to really work against our honeybees that you know we need uh desperately as uh you know they pollinate the trees and they pollinate a lot of the crops and you know it also it it, it seems like you know we're we're losing also a lot of these bees uh, to the industrial wind turbines and in some in increases in predators and weather patterns potentially delaying the the blossoming and available nectar needed to replenish food stores early in the spring but as our pollinators go so does our food supply we're very dependent upon honeybees and other insects but the honeybees the european honeybees in particular and, you know, on January 25th, 2022, uh, the New York State DEC announced in a press release that new requirements for neonic pesticides are being adopted in an effort to help protect honeybees and other pollinators, which are viewed as vulnerable to this new pesticide family. Uh, the DEC is reclassifying certain products containing uh, neo... Yeah, let's see if I can uh, you'll pronounce this one neonicotinoid no i can't do it sorry guys uh neonic insecticides um that includes uh i'm a i'm not even gonna bother folks there's there's a whole bunch of these things that are uh put up in there that are for restricted use um that are going to ensure that applications are limited to trained pesticide applicators in specific situations um the restricting of these pesticides um you know which are right now they're starting to find their way off the shelves you know right there without any kind of training they're easily grabbed and easy to apply uh by your average gardener and such but you know maybe uh ignorant to exactly what these things contain um 
you know, they're, they're restricting the use of these uh, pesticides, which will enable the DEC to collect new data to determine when, where, and how they are being used, as well as their potential impacts. Um, these pesticides attack the nervous system of insects and can also show impacts on birds and other species that prey upon these insects that may have contacted the pesticides, these neonic pesticides. Uh, consuming seeds and other foods like fruits have that have been treated is another source of potential exposure. So, you know, they are looking to restrict this, and according to the press release, pesticides re represent one of many factors that stress pollinators, and the, uh, the uh, neonic pesticides in particular have been identified as a group of pesticides that in general are highly toxic to the pollinators. While commercial application of all pesticides is reported to DEC as part of the state's stringent regulatory oversight, residential application and sales of general use products by consumers are not. The reclassification of neonic pesticides ensures proper use by trained applicators and will enable DEC to collect sales and use data to estimate and monitor the quantities and locations where these products are used. The reclassification will take effect in a, you know, a year, starting January 1st, 2023, allowing time for registrants and distributors and retailers to prepare for the change in classification. Neonics will be reclassified under DEC's Pesticide Regulation Authority, and pesticide restraints have been notified of their intent, uh, or registrants have been notified of their intent to reclassify this applicable products. Products labeled for limited directed application to tree trunks and the ground at the base of trees, shrubs, and plants are not included in this reclassification. Uh, these products provide cost-effective and unique pest control for residential applicants, particularly for invasive species, and limit potential exposure to pollinators. So, gardeners and farmers alike must be aware of these changes and hopefully this is a beneficial move besides the benefit to pollinators neonic pesticides are showing up in measurable levels in some waterways and can even have a negative impact on songbirds that do prey upon these insects so i hope everybody is aware of that and uh you know they they take you know these steps accordingly um, as obviously, um, you know, there's still a ways away. January 21st, 2023 is when this stuff is going to take effect. Um, you know, that's uh, just something to be aware of. It has been announced. And while winter activities like sledding and snowmobiling and snowshoeing and skiing, both alpine and Nordic, come to mind for most, you know, small game hunting for rabbits, squirrels, pheasants, uh, and in many areas, uh, as well as rough grouse, does continue through February 28th, and the coyote season remains open for, th for hunters through March 26th. Uh, the varying hare season also, it, that varies across New York State with these members of the rabbit family remaining open in the northern zone through March 20th, while in the southeast area of New York, the season runs through February 28th. In southwest New York, the varying hare season, which are also called snowshoe rabbits, that ends today, January 31st. And while many sportsmen are turning to ice fishing, small game seasons are really suited well for introducing youth to hunting properly, as the demands to Sit still and be quiet don't really exist, which is the case for big game hunting. And it's perfect for a kid that can get bored and fidgety on big game hunts if deer aren't moving and boredom sets in. Yet for all the opportunity we have in New York for small game hunting, many see a detriment to recruiting uh, new hunters due to all deer all the time tunnel vision. And, you know, those efforts that are being pushed um, and ideas that are being pushed, leaving out that critical stepping stone in a hunter's journey to becoming a solid all-around hunter. Yet this continues to get lost with efforts to expand deer hunting throughout New York State and setting up conflicting openers such as the October 1st for most small game except squirrel and early archery in Southern Zone. You know, these things always are coming up. And, uh, you know, hunters are kind of lamenting that, but we do have a lot of small game opportunities still left as the last big game season in the southern zone had already closed, uh, you know, by January 1st with that holiday hunt. Yes, we still have some deer hunting going on in Suffolk County and Long Island that runs through the end of uh, January, uh, January 31. That's today. So that's really closing up. That's the end of it. Um, so, you know, although there is a time crunch that obviously plays a big part in this, I would hope that parents and grandparents would recognize the value that small game hunting brings to the youth in terms of learning and retention and increase the exposure to these hunts for our youth 
you know, more so than we are doing today. Again, you got till February 28th and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, putting a little snowshoes on and, and exposing the, the kids to this particular type of hunting uh, right on through February would be a great thing to do this year, especially with COVID, COVID, COVID rules in New York State constantly going back and forth. You know, we had the New York State Supreme Court declare that Hochul's rules to, to restore the, the mask mandate uh, was unconstitutional. And, of course, the appellate court put a stay on that order while they review evidence I don't know what evidence they need to review. I think they need to review the law and to review the constitutionality of the laws and uh, get back to understanding that legislation is done by the legislative branch, not by the executive branch. Just amazing, you know. Meanwhile, anti-hunting groups are going to use the 2022 calendar year as a very active year, and Colorado has seen a bill introduced in the state legislature to ban hunting for bobcat, mountain lions, and other large cats like the lynx. Uh, this bill, which is SB 22-031, prohibits the shooting, wounding, or killing or trapping of bobcat, Canada lynx, or mountain lion. The bill was initially sponsored by State Senators Sonia uh, Haquez, uh, Lewis and uh, Joanne Janal, along with Representatives uh, Judy M. Amabile and Monica Durant. Uh, although the bill would allow some exceptions in the case of a large cat attacking a person or preying on livestock, local politicians are now really pushing back and oppose the bill. And, you know, it's making the argument that it would make protecting livestock very difficult if they weren't able to manage the, the populations uh, steadily and annually. Um, this would then result in more attacks on wildlife and livestock, causing unnecessary economic damage, loss of livestock, etc., when the proper management keeping cats in balance so incidences with livestock don't rise. And based on additional feedback and points of concern raised, some of the original sponsors of this bill have rethought their support, and rightly so. In a statement obtained by local news outlets, Senator Janal said that the bill did not have the proper support from wildlife management scientists and other people on the ground. That's also kind of being called disconnected from reality. You know, so I'm, I'm happy that the people in Colorado is kind of pushing back on this. We have to be ever vigilant, folks. You know, we've got lots of this happening all the time. And the entirety of the sporting community must be watching and involved to defend against such attacks that would cause more harm rather than any claimed good. You know, in other... Uh, in other news, you know, when the Deer, National Deer Association revealed, you know, this year that in 2020-2021, American hunters set a record number for bucks harvested and deer harvested nationally, with over 6.3 million deer estimated as being harvested and being removed from the landscape in 2020-2021 into the freezers and into the bellies of hunters across the nation, perhaps you know, this is, you know, where and why more anti-hunting efforts are ramping up, because it seems like the narrative of hunting being a dying sport is lip service and wishful thinking, trying to demoralize the hunters into inaction. Well, they're ramping up because, you know, we're now seeing that there's more hunters than ever, especially since the COVID, COVID, COVID put a lot of people outside as some of the only things that they could do during the lockdowns. And obviously compounded by supermarket shelves being kind of devoid of meats and such, this has been something of a windfall and people remembering where they come from. So now you've got the anti-hunters hyperventilating. They're going after everything they can. You know, in New York, they're going after the lead ammunition again and in other things that they're doing. Uh, you know, it's it's unbelievable. And, you know, Kip Adams also noted that U.S. hunters are taking fewer yearling bucks and killing more bucks uh, you know of them there these are mature deer and it doesn't necessarily mean that fewer bucks are being harvested over overall we're taking older bucks and more bucks than ever in in the united states of america most states don't have any antler restriction uh that is in place you know although some like to say three inch tine is a form of ar that's really not that's just to confirm that it's an antler deer at a distance Many mandatory antler restrictions are in place to protect younger deer, but that showing is ineffective as the percent of antler deer harvest still doesn't protect nearly 50% of the young bucks that make up the antler harvest. So, you know, the goal is protecting, not just, you know, making people feel like they're doing something. And the voluntary antler restriction approach is actually working well, as the numbers between uh, New York and Pennsylvania attest. Well, folks, 
I don't know if you hear that music or not, but that means that I've got to take my first break of the day. But don't worry, folks, because we love outdoors with Rich Davenport. We'll be right back. Welcome back, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain to the second segment of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport coming to you from sunny Tandawanda, New York. And hey, you know, this segment is sponsored by Chautauqua Real Outdoors Guide and Tackle. You know, they're located at 165 Fairmont Avenue in Lakewood, New York. They're in the Save-A-Lot and Dollar General Plaza. Chautauqua Real Outdoors carries a full line of ice fishing equipment, including jet sleds and augers, rod and reel combos, tip-ups, and much more. They got a big selection of ice jigging Rapalas and other ice fishing tackle, and they do offer an auger blade sharpening service with quick turnaround. So important. Live bait is also available, and they're open year-round. You can find them on Facebook or visit the web at ChautauquaRealOutdoors.com. You know, we've got 2022, that's barely a month in the books, but we've already seen yet another fishing record fall by the wayside. Earlier this month, lucky New Hampshire angler uh, and Gilmanton resident Ryan Scott Ashley caught a new state record cusk. Now, what's a cusk? Well, cusk is also an eel powder or burbot. Uh, the fish weighed in at 12 pounds, 8.53 ounces, and measured 35 inches long. Ashley was fishing an area of the northern end of Lake Winnipesaukee in Moultonboro, when he, a spot he calls Paradise's Spot, which Ashley named after a friend of his grandfather who had recently passed on. Ashley explained, I never got to hunt or fish with my grandfather much because he died when I was young. Paul Paradise, the friend of his grandfather, introduced me to the sport and took me kid, as a kid hunting, trapping, and fishing. He was one of the number one trappers in the state of New Hampshire. Ashley said he and, and Paradise spent a lot of time fishing in that spot up on Lake Winnipesaukee. And although Ashley says he never saw his friend Keshikusk in that area, you know, they always went for white perch, and once in a while you get some lake trout and some rainbows. In just the last couple of years, I realized that it was a really good cusk spot, and I started fishing for them there. You know, that's another uh, name for the cusk is a freshwater ling. Some call them burbot, and they're, they're actually like a freshwater cod. They're, they're a delicacy. Their table fare is fantastic. And, you know, starting off 2022 with this 12-pound, 12-and-a-half-pound, 35-inch-long record is a great way to start off the 2022 season. You know, by the way, New York State also saw the real pout, uh, record eclipsed last year. In other news, DEC is reminding everyone that you still have time to comment on the proposed fishing regulation changes. And I'm certainly reaching out again and encourage everyone to do so before that February 6th deadline. The more comments submitted, the more likely DEC will get this one right. You can, can submit comments um, on the proposal via email to regulations.fish at dec.ny.gov or via mail to the Inland Fisheries Section, NYSDEC, 625 Broadway, Albany, New York, 12233-4753. Please include in the subject line, either you're an email or your, your uh, regular snail mail comment, Fishing Regulations Proposal Comments. Again, comments will be accepted through February 6th of 2022. So hopefully people will get that information out there and get it out there, uh, get those comments in and do that, you know, sooner rather than later. Time is definitely running short, folks. You know, in other nudes around the fruited plain, there was a fish species that was feared extirpated from the state of Ohio, and it's apparently reemerged, as if to tell those biologists, hey, not so fast. When two longhead darters were collected during fall survey work while electrofishing for bass on the Ohio River. The last time this species was encountered was back in 1939 when Milton B. Troutman captured seven in the Walhading River, a principal tributary of the Muskegon River in east-central Ohio. 
So exciting was the discovery and confirmation of what this species, uh, these darters were in Ohio, that the Department of Wildlife posted a Facebook announcement telling all of this discovery. Even though the population may be small, a Apparently, a breeding number of these fish do exist in Ohio after all, and it could be in more places than the Ohio River. News of this discovery was met with happiness and a little sarcasm as some responded with too much excitement over a darter that looks like this. Others chimed in saying that they have been catching these minnows and minnow traps for 15 years in the Harrison County and Noble County area. And one poster noted that the black side darter, uh, you know, which is in the Persina maculate uh, genus and the long-haired darter, the Messina macrophylla, uh, they look very similar. But the heads are certainly a little different, as are the black side markings. The long head darter sides uh, look more like a, a continuous stretch of black, whereas the black side darter uh, appears to be more spot-like. Regardless of whether this is exciting news to you or not, it actually is good news to know that the darter isn't extirpated from Ohio's waters after all. So that's very good news. On the ice fishing front, while most inland lakes are now fishable, and we do have that ice fishing derby going on down on Chautauqua Lake, folks, you can still enter it. You can enter it uh, until February 12th, so you've got another couple of weeks to enter that, that derby. Uh, it's, you know... Interesting that you know many protected harbors and bays of Lake Erie and Lake Ontario are also fishable as well as the inland lakes and ponds. But we've got reports that indicate rapidly growing ice cover on Lake Erie, with the lake now showing over 80% frozen. If the weather continues the way forecasts suggest, we could see ice fishing as early as this weekend out of the Hamburg and Sturgeon Point area. According to NOAA data, Lake Erie as of today is over 80% covered and is well ahead of the historical ice cover trends for this date. In fact, the entirety of the Great Lakes Basin, uh, the, all those lakes are ahead of schedule, believe it or not, in terms of ice cover, if you check that uh, NOAA data, some obviously a, a little bit more dramatic than others, such as Lake Erie. Um, but we've got frigid weather coming on the way, and if winds abate and allow that lake to lock up and get thick, we'll be out there before you know it. And like I said earlier, we do have a winter storm coming just before the weekend. But those weekend temps that are forecasted, they're, they're looking at single digits across the region, and we could be fishing in another week on the Big E. Let's all hope so, right? Because that's a heck of a lot of fun. And in other news, the DEC has announced the appointment of a new director of Fish and Wildlife who is expected to assume this role probably some point this week. Jackie Lendrum, who is a 15-year veteran within the DEC's Division of Water and is current director of the Department or the Division of Water's Bureau of Water Assessment and Management, will take over from acting director Jim Farquhar, who has been serving in that capacity while the DEC has searched for a replacement. Commissioner Basil Sagos, in his own email welcoming the new director, stated, quote, Jackie is well acquainted with deer management after decades of encouraging the use of her family farm for hunting and trapping by family members and visitors and actively promoting habitat protection and land conservation. Uh, her guidance and expertise in assessing water quality impacts will also be a valuable tool in working with our habitat and fisheries experts to continue the progress being made in improving the health of our fish and wildlife populations. Jackie earned a bachelor degree of science in biology and psychology from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute and holds a PhD in environmental health science from the University at Albany's School of Public Health. I know Jackie is excited to expand her family traditions of hunting and fishing and better, to underst uh, better her understanding of the critical role hunting, fishing, and trapping in, that New York uh, has. I trust everyone in New York, in western New York, will also welcome her for the job and remind her that Lake Erie must be protected from the blight of industrial wind turbines. This should be a no-brainer for the experts in uh, water protection, I am sure, Everyone would agree with that. And, you know, folks, I have also extended a welcome email uh, to Jackie on her new endeavor and reminding her that, you know, the industrial dark days of the pollution of the Great Lakes is still living with us on the bottom of Lake Erie, only covered by a sand cap. 
and with those industrial wind turbines and the displacement of that sand cap re-exposing contaminants that have long been buried to the food chain not just in the in the uh the you know the building and constructing of these uh uh stanchions and placing these 50 turbines out there in the open waters but also through the trenching of transmission lines you know there will also be a continuous effect of the change of the hydrodynamics around those turbines that will continue by erosion to disturb those sand caps and continually reintroduce those toxins. The uh, Bureau of Oceanic Energy Management, BOEM, has now released uh, requests for proposals for studies to, you know, look at the hydrology changes that will happen from Virginia down to the Carolinas, maybe as far up as New Jersey, as offshore wind energy starts to grow in the Atlantic. Yet nobody really knows what's going to happen with the hydrological changes and their impacts on lobster and the reproduction in fish fry, etc. That siltation and that change needs to be known. And it's going to be the same type of changes that you have out in the Great Lakes only these are going to be driven more by the wind, so it's going to be going every different direction, yet those currents are still there. They have a lesser impact of the gravitation or lunar tides, if you will. Nevertheless, these things are going to have an impact that will be profound on the waters and on the fisheries and on the food chain as these uh, toxins, which have been well known to be cut off from the uh, food chain, prompting the Department of Health to now allow women of childbearing age and children to eat fish once again out of Lake Erie at the same levels that you can buy at or eat out of the uh, you know commercially provided um, oceanic food from your markets that you go and purchase them from. You know, this is something that needs to be looked at, and we certainly hope that this new director of Fish and Wildlife will stand up and defend these uh, national treasures, this fresh water of life, from this folly of industrial wind development. You know, it goes without saying that we've got a lot of fish out in that lake, and, you know, we've got an emergency that's emerged because there's uh, approximately 145 million walleye that are living in that lake now after the last successful spawns and the fall trawling surveys across that lake. And the sport fishing, uh, the Persid uh, management uh, group, rather, I should say, that, that works together on uh, protecting the, the perch and the walleye from overfishing. Uh, they set a you know, total allowable catch, especially on the western basin where commercial fishing for walleye is heavy. You know, they're now discussing emergency regulations to reduce that daily minimum or reduce the, the, the minimum size, I should say, from 15 inches to 13 inches just to encourage taking a few of the smaller fish and reducing that population that's putting a tremendous amount of pressure on the bait fish populations in that lake. Uh, right now, we're waiting on that emergency regulation to be posted. I'm expecting that any day, but it hasn't been released yet. Therefore, you know, we're, it's still being discussed, but everyone is talking about it. We're hoping to see that emergency regulation released very soon. Um, I'm, I'm a little curious and concerned about leaving that daily limit at six. You know, if we've got a problem with numbers in the lake, common sense would dictate increasing the daily limit from six a day to 10 a day and dropping that 15 to 13 inch a day just to incentivize taking more fish out of this uh, ecosystem. But that hasn't been proposed yet. Maybe that's the next step. Um, it's going to depend on the, the, the success of the spawns, um, especially this year, to see where these numbers are going to shake out. But something definitely has to happen, and the responsiveness of this uh, Persid management team, um, you know, across the United States and Canada, you know, they're trying to get more responsive to these problems. And maybe they will get more responsive, and this is a good first step. Let's hope it is, because if it isn't, we're going to have some problems. Well, folks, you hear that? That's right. That music means that the second segment of We Love Outdoors is in the can, and i got to take my second break of the day. The fastest podcast in history is going to take a break, but folks, stretch your legs, get a cup of coffee, don't go anywhere, because We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport will be right back.
And welcome back, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain, the We Love Outdoors, coming with Rich Davenport coming to you on Anchor.fm, powered by Spotify. You know, folks, it's uh, just an amazing thing as I sit there and look back at at uh, all the different changes that we're seeing and going through and and uh, you know it's just it's amazing that you know these activities start to ramp up but we have to be involved we have to be watchful ever vigilant to make sure that you know all the things that we have fought so hard for including the perpetuation and the restoration in a healthy abundance of our wildlife and our fisheries isn't jeopardized to you know salve somebody else's feelings because they feel bad that somebody is shooting an animal or catching a fish remember Remember, folks, that it's the future of the herds and the schools that we are really, you know, uh, you know, concerned about, not the here and now of today, because today is fleeting. Tomorrow is, you know, the animal's not yet born. You know, that's what mortality is all about. It makes room for the new ones to come up, you know, by getting rid of those old ones that have been eating all those resources and, and, and taking those resources on, just so we're all clear on that. Well, folks, the New York State Conservation Council has announced that they'll be holding their first ever fundraising golf tournament at Seneca Falls Country Club on July 11, 2022. Details are still being finalized and sponsor potentials being defined, but already established will be the cost per foursome, which will be $500 or $125 a golfer. This covers the green fees, your carts, your lunch at the turn, beer and pop on the course, and a steak dinner afterwards where awards for the event will be given out. Raffles and silent auctions will also be available after the golf outing. And, uh, you know, the day prior on that Sunday beforehand, because the, the 11th is a Monday, um, that'll be a chance to fish and hike and take in the scenic area of the Finger Lakes region with wine tours also available and a dinner for the New York State Conservation Council uh, members to come together and perhaps even present some NYSCC awards that had been delayed over the last year or so due to COVID, COVID, COVID. Uh, there was a board meeting that was held on January 25th, and, uh, you know, it was discussed that the current limit for this event will be 20 foursomes or 80 golfers. And if demand exceeds that, you know, it was alluded that some contingency plans may be put in place to allow for more golfers to participate. Um, you know, that could be in, in the mix just in case. Um, but, you know, they're, they're still putting together all the details. And things will include a potential skins entry, you know, buying mulligans. And, you know, it'll be a best ball format to move things along. And there may even be a hole-in-one on a par three uh, with a possible new car in play. Things are still being worked out. Uh, they've also announced that, you know, tea and green sponsorships uh, will also be out there. Those will be pegged at $100 per tea or per green. And uh, that'll include signage proclaiming who is sponsoring the tea and the whole, the participants to see. Corporate sponsorships will also be available at varying levels. And we're expecting that the uh, informational brochure will be released in the not-too-distant future to the clubs and to the federations so they know exactly what's going on and they can start their support in whatever form it may be, whether it's sending a foursome to the, uh, to the event or maybe being a sponsor or providing some, some prizes to raffle off you know maybe something for the uh the longest drive or the closest to the pin the dog meets as they're called and by the by those in uh the uh, golf tournament parlance if you will um it should be a lot of fun it really should and that's something that you know was a takeaway from that last board meeting is that when the D the nyscc gets together you know it shouldn't just be the dry going through the resolutions and getting your updates from the dec and what regulations are coming down we all ought to have a little bit of fun as well and you know this is uh, moving into that direction of trying to get a little bit of fun and camaraderie with the members of the nyscc and i you know i'll give a, a kudos and an applause for that because that's something that really will get the younger people involved you know it's not just all the dry and boring stuff that is very very important but nevertheless can kind of get a little bit crazy and a little bit hairy uh, and, and maybe not foster as much fun and as much enthusiasm to protect our sports. This is going to be a way to do it. And, you know, that's a, it's, it's fantastic. I really do think so. And as a reminder, you know, please make sure to contact your state reps you know, concerning the three bills that are, uh, have some action items that are attached to them. Uh, you know, one of them is A, 
1299 S7747. This one deals with the crossbow and moving the privileges to archery, so repealing that need for the muzzleloader and adding it to the archery stamp while providing full inclusion in the early archery big game seasons. The New York State Conservation Council supports that, and uh, you know, although there aren't any plans right now to incorporate crossbow into the archery uh, education and safety training, uh, they're ready once this thing moves forward to incorporate that and make sure everyone gets that uh, education properly. So it's, you know, the safety of it is addressed. Another bill that we needs action is A5728 S5058. We need you to reach out to your representatives in the State Assembly and the Senate and oppose that bill as that deals with a, a lead ammo ban on state lands and uh, New York City watershed for hunting. You know, the Lead Ammunition Action Committee uh, has found that there is no benefit in this regulation or in this legislation to move forward. Uh, it, it's not a big deal, but, you know, we should continue to promote and make people aware of alternative uh, to lead ammunition as, you know, that's really where this is going to fall into. But right now, you know, the Eagles are, are finding, you know, lead poisoning from other sources. It's not coming from ammunition, and it's not coming from carrion. It's coming from predominantly industrial smokestacks and heavy metal emissions from there. Uh, and, and that's, you know, once we determine that point of, of, of pollution, that can be addressed. But it's not coming from the pellets, and it's not coming from, sled, from slugs that are made of lead. The final bill that we need action on is A7785 S6510. These are the county opt-in, opt-out uh, bills. You know, this, this relates to the county opt-out specifically concerning late muzzleloader season in the southern zone. Uh, you know, this was driven really this year. Uh, you know, the, the DEC tried to promulgate some regulations. They proposed a bunch of regulations. But that ended up falling through uh, because of the various uh, differing stakeholders' comments, and they needed to closely analyze those. Uh, but in the process, we all found out that the snowmobile trails are going to be driven by snowpack, not hunting seasons when they start and stop. And, you know, since the DEC still believes that muzzleloading and uh, late archery and snowmobiling can coexist safely, just like it does in many other states, you know, they don't want to hamstring themselves and, and uh, you know, deny an, an additional opportunity to the hunters. That shouldn't be denied. And, you know, the, the snowmobilers should be able to get out and, and enjoy it, too. So long as the regular season is closed, that's really where you've got a lot of people that are out there. And that could cause a potential safety issue, but not with single-shot black powder firearms, crossbows, and compound bows, recurves, etc. Um, you know, get out there and, you know, make sure that your representatives oppose this county opt-out legislation. Again, A7785, S6510. Um, concerning this opt-in and opt-out, during the board meeting, um, the, the Conservation Council has put out a call for an emergency resolution on this, and the Erie County Federation of Sportsmen's Clubs voted to move forward uh, on submitting an emergency resolution to oppose any county opt-in or opt-out laws or proposed regulations pertaining to fish and wildlife covering hunting, trapping, and fishing. And, you know, this is enshrined in the New York State Constitution stating that the state has the authority, has the supremacy of this. It's not up to the counties, etc. And it has... Uh, it is, this is being signed on to by Wyoming County, Chautauqua County, and now Onondaga County in Region 7. They're signing on to this emergency resolution as well uh, to give this more meat and more uh, weight to push forward as an emergency resolution. Let's hope that this moves forward and uh, gets adopted by policy um, for, for the New York State Conservation Council to put those on, on record and on notice that this is not going to be something that is supported and we're going to vehemently oppose these things. In other news, just some uh, basic reminders out there is that, you know, the South Towns Walleye Association will be holding their annual Outfitters Fair on Saturday, February 19th at their clubhouse in Southwestern Boulevard. Uh, the event runs 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Food and beverages are available. It's free to attend and browse around to see what everybody is selling. But if you want to get a table to sell some things that you may have, that's $35 if you're interested in selling stuff. Uh, reach out to the uh, to the uh, 
the South Downs Walleye at their website and get more details and more information. You can also visit weloveoutdoors.org into the events area and get all your information on that as well. Also on that day, the 19th of February, uh, the Cattaraugus County Trappers are hosting in Hinsdale at the Volunteer Fire Hall there in Hinsdale a raw fur auction, and that runs from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. Again, you can get that information at weloveoutdoors.org slash events. And don't forget that February 19th and 20th is the New York State Free Fishing Weekend. It's the first one of the year where you don't need a fishing license to fish in New York, and that applies to all ages. It is the first Free Fishing Weekend event of this year. Um, you know, there's another one that comes up in the end of June, uh, but this is the first one. It's, it really targets the ice fishing time, and it's going to be a good time. Uh, there are, you know, obviously derbies going on that you can participate in, and down in Chautauqua Lake, there is also the uh, annual ice festival that happens that weekend and it looks like there should have ample ice to build that ice castle this year. Meanwhile, the Erie County Federation of Sportsmen's Clubs is hosting their annual awards banquet and fundraiser on Saturday, March 5th, 2022 at Glocks Grove in West Seneca. Last year, the COVID, COVID, COVID forced the cancellation of this event, but uh, this is coming back and tickets are now on sale, which are $45 each. They are pre-sale only. There are no tickets going to be available for purchase at the door. You know, this banquet is a great time. They have phenomenal food at Clocks, and I hope to see a packed house with lots of spending on the terrific raffles and games that the ECFSC will have. Absolutely fantastic event. You can visit ecfsc.org to get more information on how to purchase those tickets, and I hope a lot of people are there. Um, you know, we also, you know, coming up in March is that uh, Western New York Outdoor Sport and Travel Expo. And as last we knew, this is still on for March 10th through 13th, 2022. It'll be a little bit smaller event that we've had in past years. Um, you're looking at only two buildings instead of four or five. That had been the case pre-COVID, COVID, COVID. But so far, so good on this one. It still looks like it's going to be on. Hopefully, we'll see you guys. It's a $10 cost per ticket per day. It's really not that much and you get to see all sorts of things um, in terms of outfitters and, and uh, where you can go and latest gear and latest gadgets etc a lot of fun and some other reminders that April 1st is still the opening day of inland trout season in New York State and while that is going on you know that's you know they're going to be uh, you know changes that are going to be made come uh, April 1st if the pending uh, pending uh, fishing regulation updates are accepted. That's going to, the, the changes are going to deal with ponds and such uh, as they incorporate those into the trout management plan. They already did the inland stream plan. They're now looking at lakes and ponds to address stocking and address uh, creel, uh, you know, daily creel uh, rules on those lakes to try to get things standardized to five a day with not two being, you know, only two being limited to 12 inch or over. So that's really good. Uh, you know, also on May 22nd coming up, South Towns Walleye will be holding their annual perch derby. Any interested anglers should call 716-545-5925 to get info. And remember that they are now taking and accepting uh, entries and renewals into the club. You know, you got to renew your dues. And also you can now join up, uh, sign up for the uh, annual walleye derby, which is going to run from... Uh, the 11th through 19th of June this year. And uh, finally, the DEC has announced that applications are now available to, co uh, to become a cooperator in the day-old chick uh, program, which allows people to participate in rearing and releasing pheasants to enhance the state's fall hunting opportunities. This program is provided in partnership with the DEC and the 4-H uh, youth and interested landowners. Uh, this program began in the early 1900s, and uh, they've been distributing eggs and, and chicks to farmers and rural youth as a tradition that continues to this day and um, you know the day-old chick program uh, you know has applications now that are going on uh, to become a rearer but the deadline is March 25th of 2022. Erie County's program is coordinated with the Cornell Cooperative Extension and that's done through the Erie County Federation of Sportsmen's Clubs. That uh, coordinator his name is Dan Tone and you know you can get with him uh, to get more information on this program 
and um, you know he really goes the extra mile uh, to also band the birds so in hopes the hunters will report their harvest and track where the birds are going well folks you hear that that's right the fastest podcast in history is up now for three segments and they're in the can now i gotta take my last break of the day but hey folks get up stretch your legs get a cup of coffee get a cup of orange juice whatever but don't go anywhere because we love outdoors with rich davenport we'll be right back Welcome back, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain to the final segment of this week's episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport coming to you from sunny Tandawanda, New York. Oh, yeah, folks, this is just wonderful. You know, we've got so much on the plate, and, you know, it's it's uh, one of the things that's really, really, um, you know, encouraging and, and, and makes me feel good, you know, is that, you know, the there's pushback against this harebrained notion of wind turbines in the Great Lakes, and it continues to grow. And it also appears that the citizens against wind turbines in Lake Erie have developed a staunch ally in Tom Bowerly of WBPN, uh, WBEN Radio 930 AM in Buffalo. Uh, last week, Sharon Trembath and Jim Handley were on the air, uh, and this was the second such program that Bowerly had aired in just about as many weeks. Uh, you know, he did this show in part because the first show that he uh, put on with Hanley as the guest uh, garnered a lot of phone calls, but none of those calls were actually in support of the wind turbine idea. And that was a first for him. Usually every show, he's got callers coming in. He's got, you know, both sides uh, sprinkled in with the callers. Some sides maybe, you know, sometimes the opposition or support may be heavier than one or the other, but at least he's got people calling in that is on the opposite side of of the offense and this particular program had nobody calling in in support of this harebrained idea of industrializing the great lakes with wind energy and you know he he had the second show that went on and it was more of the same as jim and sharon did a great job outlining the issues and problems and you know the response uh, was really amazing with another 170 new members joining the Facebook group Citizens Against Wind Turbines in Lake Erie, now putting the membership of that group well over 4,000 and climbing. And that's fantastic. But meanwhile, you know, the supporters of this folly, the ones that don't make the phone calls, etc., um, they have stood up their own Facebook group. They did that starting November 19th of 2021. And it's been promoted by the likes of Crystal People Stokes from Buffalo, New York, over in the State Assembly, as well as now Governor Kathy Hochul. Through their campaigns to garner support, they've been robocalling everybody, you know, saying, hey, do you support this? And that group, which started on November 19th, has a whopping number of 23 people following them. They've only got 22 liking their pages versus over 4,000 that are involved defending the lake from this folly. Yeah, uh, you can tell exactly where this falls in this area. Nobody wants this stuff. And meanwhile, Chris Jacobs, Congressman Chris Jacobs, remains a staunch opponent of the nonsensical plan of sticking industrial wind turbines in our waters of life. And he's now actively trying to tie cleanup funds with pushing back against these turbines that will re-expose long-buried toxins that everybody's attempting to clean up. It makes no sense to spend a ton of money cleaning everything up when you're just going to go ahead and re-expose all the things which you're cleaning up in the first place. I'm glad that he is aware of that. And... Um, you know, even in folks, even with folks that are in Arkwright, you know, the home of the recently constructed wind factory, are noticing this toll that's having on the lands. Um, and these are state lands and forests, with wildlife being displaced and the peaceful sounds of the forests now replaced by the ever-present whooshing of the blades and the flicker of lights and shadows. It's absolutely terrible. And, you know, in fact, according to Forbes magazine, 
the backlash against renewable energy projects is hitting an all-time high in 2021 with 31 big wind projects and 13 big solar projects being vetoed by residents just in 2021 alone. The article written by Robert Bryce starts out with, of the many whoppers that renewable energy promoters use while advocating for huge increases in the use of wind and solar, the most absurd claim is that building massive amounts of new renewable energy capacity won't require very much land. Indeed, that assertion is often made by climate activist Bill McKibben. Or consider a report published in 2020 by the San Francisco-based Energy Innovation, a nonpartisan energy and environmental policy firm, which claimed that all of the wind and solar kit needed to get us to 90% zero carbon electricity would amount to a mere 28,200 square kilometers, or just under 11,000 square miles. The report you know, their authors uh, hopefully point out that, you know, much territory would be about triple the land currently devoted to golf courses and equivalent to about half of the land owned by the Department of Defense, which is obviously a false equivalent and trying to get you to say, well, if they have the land, you know, we should be able to use the land to, to save the planet, right? But that's just not how it works. Despite the many false claims about land intensity of the renewables, physics and the math don't lie. The incurably low power density of wind and solar energy, which are the subject of a 10-minute TED-style talk given by Robert Bryce just over the last week, uh, means that they require cartoonish amounts of land. Furthermore, the notion that there's plenty of rural towns and counties who just can't wait to have the forests, uh, you know, a forest of 600-foot-high wind turbines and oceans of solar panels inflicted upon them, it's nothing but rank propaganda. The folks in the rural area are out there because they like the real forests made of trees, not of concrete and steel, and the solar panels taking up the farmland that's what the rural area is for, you know, they really don't like this at all, and they're just starting to, to really get their voice as they have been suppressed in all of this in the rush to, uh, you know, have this massive land grab go on. You know, it's, it's a stark truth that these steams require vast amounts of land in areas of the ocean. That's something that the New York Independent Systems operators pointed out during their report on Phase 2 of the climate change law with wind energy needing to consume an area the size of St. Lawrence County each year for the next 19 years to meet the goals of 2035. Solar would see an expansion over the next 19 years of a surface area equivalent to the city of Binghamton every year for the next 19 years to accommodate their, you know, these, these things they need to do. So, you know, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous to think that they're not going to take up a lot of land. Of course they're going to take up a lot of land. We don't have the land to support it, and that's really the case. And, you know, rural Americans are objecting to this encroachment of wind projects because they don't want to see the red blinking lights atop 50 or 60-story high, 60 high wind turbines all night, every night for the rest of their lives. They're also concerned, and rightly so, about the deleterious health impacts from the noise of the turbines, sleep disturbance, potential decrease in property values, and they're also objecting to the solar projects because they want to protect the valuable farmland that's being taken out of production. If you need more food, you need more land to grow, and that's totally being ignored, obviously, which, you know, is terrible. And, and then they start even getting into talking about spoiling the viewsheds and property values, which, you know, some of the environmental movement consider to be a NIMBY argument. Unbelievable. You know, it used to be where energy development was viewed through the prism of high-density Fall, small footprint as to maximize energy produced that is being sent to the grid, meaning short cable runs, limiting the loss due to Ohm's law, while minimizing our impact on the environment and encroachment into the wild spaces. That's what we used to do. Now we want low-density, high encroachment. I mean, this is the opposite of what groups like Sierra Club used to endorse, where just 10 short years ago they called wind turbines bird arts, and now they've suddenly become a cheerleader to this mess, something that I'm sure their founder, John Muir, would have big, big, big problems with, okay? 
Since 2015, Big Wind has seen 320 proposed projects rejected, with 323 communities from Hawaii to Maine rejecting or restricting Big Wind. Among the most recent restrictions is Boone County, Missouri, where last November the county commission passed rules that limit the height of wind turbines and require a 1,750-foot setback from property lines. After the vote, the head of Renew Missouri lamented to KCRG-TV reporter Jessica Hart that the new rules will make it impossible for wind farms to develop in the county. Really? Tough luck. Meanwhile, solar has seen 13 large-scale projects halted and rejected in 2021, and the backlash is growing over solar, with a big reason being China pretty much cornering the market on polysilicone, which nearly half the world's polysilicone, the key ingredient in solar panels, being coming from the Xinjiang province, where the Chinese government has a program of systematic repression and forced labor. Last year, the U.S. State Department declared that China was practicing genocide and crimes against humanity against predominantly Muslims in the Uyghurs uh, in the uh, in, in Xinjiang, uh, including forced labor to produce polysilicone for solar panels, and that's something that the Biden administration has strangely gone silent on, uh, including China saying, you know, claiming what there is no genocide, right? The Sierra Club and many others. Uh, want these facts of all this opposition and all these problems that come with it, let alone the economic and the realities of, of output. They're constantly talking about installed capacity enough for X, you know millions of homes, yet they don't tell you that their capacity factor for wind is 26%, so you need to build four times the capacity of installed capacity to realize what they're actually going to give you when the wind blows. And it's even worse with solar. It's 14% uh, in New York State. That you know, so you're going to need to build out you know eight times the amount of capacity just to get what they're saying is going to happen. You know, it's absolutely incredible. But their myth needs to be you know furthered. That you know, no one is uh, opposing saving the planet. So that's why they're working so hard to suppress all this stuff. And you know, it's you know when you start confronting them, you know they're going to tell you, well, you know, in order to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs. Meaning, you know, hey, no one's opposed to saving the planet, but if you destroy the ecosystem, well, you know, it's in the name of saving the planet and everybody supports that. But when you don't save the planet, you know, because you can't save the planet by destroying ecosystems and the life that lives there. You know, if death is what you're looking for, why are you trying to save the planet? You know, the answer is money and a lot of it and power. Power over your life by restricting your ability to afford energy, travel freely, and use the natural resources that is your right by being born here. Case in point, you're going to see a lot of kabuki theater that's coming up. You know, they, they talk about all the time that, you know, oh, nobody opposes saving the planet. You know, and this is going to be the same type of kabuki theater that's being staged by Governor Hochul and her cadre of tyrants. She's now engaged in this PR campaign to gin up offshore wind support for the Great Lakes. And her office is cold calling people and they ask you if you support this bold initiative to lower carbon emissions and provide good paying jobs to the western New York economy, all in the name of saving the planet. If you support this, we will connect you directly to the governor's office. Of course, if you tell the caller you oppose it, they hang up on you. And clearly, the name of this game is, you know, basically to set up the straw man. And, you know, all of a sudden that, you know, when they start pushing forward on it, if they get any pushback, it'll be, well, I've taken all sorts of phone calls and everybody supports it. Well, of course, because those who are opposing it are being hung up on. This is easy to see. And as of today, though, NYSERDA has yet to issue a solicitation for any large-scale renewable projects for 2022, let alone in the Great Lakes. And the Office of Renewable Energy Siting is not considering any projects for the Great Lakes as of yet. This, of course, won't stop developers from flying under the radar. As we spotted back in 2019, the Diamond Wind Energy product um, developers uh, had applied for an interconnect with the New York State Independent Systems Operators, two for Buffalo and one for Dunkirk in the harbors in support of their wind nightmare, only to have those requests withdrawn after being caught applying for the interconnect for a project that hasn't even been announced for bid. 
Keep your eyes on it, folks, because this stuff is going to come, and when it comes, they're going to try to blindside you. But don't worry. Stay and follow this podcast, and you're not going to be blindsided because we're going to bring you this news that no one else wants to touch. Well, folks, you hear that music? That's right. That means that this episode of We Love Outdoors is done for the day, and I have to leave you. I hope you found this podcast enjoyable, enlightening, and entertaining, as well as informative. And don't go anywhere, folks. Please follow this podcast on Spotify and get your news once a week. I'm going to be coming at you all the time here. And although I've got to say goodbye today, I'm going to tell you that I'll see you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. God bless, folks, and have a good night.